We are in our series, Dig Deep. We've only got one more week left next week. And uh, what we've been talking about is the idea that uh, we don't want to mess up on the narrative of who God truly is. And we don't want to mess up on the narrative of who we are. And so, because if we do that, if we have a good understanding of who we are, but we don't understand God very well, then we're going to be frustrated in trying to uh, live a life that's pleasing to him or live a life that is connected with him if we don't understand him. And vice versa, if we understand God really well, but we have false narratives about ourselves, there's going to be some frustration there as well. And so that's what we've been talking about. And so we've been talking about the idea that God is um, trustworthy, that he's loving, that he's self-sacrificing, that he's good, all these different things and what that actually means uh, when it comes to who God is and who we are. And so this morning, uh, and we've been also taking those things and, and hopefully shattering some of the false narratives that come along with those things. And so uh, this morning what we're going to talk about is a false narrative that probably when I say it, some of you, if you've been a Christian for a very long time or you've been going to church for a very long time, your initial reaction might be to push back and to go, well, wait a minute, that's not a false narrative, that's, that one's true. And, and, and it's so ingrained into who we are, what I'm about to say, this narrative, it's so ingrained that, that there's gonna, it's probably going to make you a little bit uncomfortable because you've been told this your whole life, pastors have told this your whole life, and, and like most false narratives, there's a part of it that's, that's kind of true. And so, and so as we've discussed in these last few weeks, all of these false narratives have some little element of truth to them or else we wouldn't buy into them so quickly. And here's the false narrative. You are a sinner. Now, for some of you, you're like, right. I mean, isn't that the whole point of Jesus and the cross? Is like, or, or wait, if you're saying it's a false narrative, then you're telling me I'm not a sinner, which means you didn't see me 45 minutes ago. Correct. I did not see you 45 minutes ago. Uh, we're getting the car cams installed and they'll, they'll come. But uh, for now, for now, your, your, your commute here on Sunday morning is, is, is camera free. So we don't even know what you're, uh, you guys cussing at each other. We wouldn't even know. But you, you kind of know, well, wait a minute. I, if I look at myself this week, I, 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 did, I did sin, maybe. And so, and, and I've been told my whole life, I'm a sinner saved by grace. You've heard that over and over. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And you know, also, you could quote scriptures at me. Um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Oh, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Uh, we can find all sorts of things in there about, uh, uh, about sinning and sinners and all this kind of stuff. And you've probably, you'd probably talk to somebody. We're all sinners. You know, we've kind of come, come, to, that, come to that thing. And so, so for me to say the false narrative is that you're a sinner, there probably is some uncomfortableness or you're waiting for the hook or you're waiting for some like, oh, I, now I see what you're talking about. But the, the fact of the matter is if you've begun this life with Christ, if you've entered into this journey, if you've uh, been saved, then you aren't a sinner. So congratulations. No, uh, we'll go on and, and talk about that a little bit. Um, when I was, uh, when our kids were little, we used to home, we homeschool our kids. So we, you know, we, I had a big gap in my teeth and we, you know, we did, and they all, you know, now 
we've homeschooled our kids uh, up until Audrey was in high school, Emily was in junior high, and Jesse was in the third grade. And the cool thing about home, there's a bunch of cool things about homeschooling. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. It's a lot of work. Um, and, um, and so I totally get that. But there are a couple things. Um, one, um, you can uh, sexually harass the teacher, which is kind of cool. But um, <laughs> the other thing... Uh, is that you're, you constantly come up with all these little g- games and stuff, and you can, you can tailor the, the, the learning for each kid. So if one kid struggles a certain way in math, you can kind of tailor it. And so that's kind of fun. And so one of the things we did was this. We, we got one of these things. It's a, um, it's a butterfly habitat. And this one's kind of cool. You can also buy the vest, and, 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 the, and you can put patches on it, almost like the Girl Scouts, but... Um, but more like of a commodity, really. And so, so we have that. And what happens is this, this thing opens up. You've got to be careful because it, it's like one of those tubes, you know, that goes flying out. And I'll leave those in there because this isn't mine. <laughs> I, I borrowed it. So what you do is you get this thing set up and you hang it in the kid's room because you don't want it. In, well, maybe you do want it in your room. That's entirely up to you. But... Uh, you, you put this in there, and then you get a stick and some leaves and stuff, and they ship you a caterpillar. Which, and, you, you know, you think to yourself, wow, you know, poor caterpillars in there, you know. I don't know if you've, my UPS guy, the we needed to get six of them. But, um, so, the caterpillar goes in there and does his caterpillar thing. Climbs around, eats leaves. He's a caterpillar. And then after a while, um, the caterpillar climbs up to a certain spot that the caterpillar and his little caterpillar brain deems uh, good, it connects there and becomes, you know, hangs, and then becomes a, what is it, crystallis or whatever that thing is. I, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't do, don't correct me, I, I don't <laughs> care. And so, um, and, and so it hangs there as a little cocoon, and then after a while it emerges into this beautiful butterfly. And so we did that. And we, we got the thing in the mail, the caterpillar, and we put it out. And, and it did its thing. And it became a cocoon. And because I don't have any patience, I couldn't even watch it. I couldn't even look at it because it just bugged me. It was like something, like a chore that needed to be done. Like, oh, and then I got to get that butterfly out of the cocoon. And so it just, it just made me tense. And so I, it was in the kid's room. I didn't even care. And then someone was saying, the butterfly's coming out, which took way too long. And but when the butterfly came out, it was deformed. It was like missing it. Well, we didn't deform it. <laughs> yeah. Good night. You're like, oh. It, it, missed, it was missing a leg, and one of its wings wasn't fully developed. So, so jeez. Uh, so, um, you know they're insects, right? Okay. All right. Okay. So, we, I kind of, we waited long, we waited a while to, because we didn't actually know. Maybe they all come out like that. You have to wait a while for the one wing to grow, and it didn't, or the leg to come out, and it didn't. So we decided to let it go, and of course it flew like a, you know, it, it was having, <laughs> it was struggling, okay? Uh, it made it over the wall of our backyard, um, and my wife thinks the turtles, they had some turtles next door that they ate it, but I think it grew its wing and flew, flew away. Yay. You're like, oh, okay. Anyway, so we had this deformed butterfly. Now listen, all of us, everyone in the family had this idea when we got the caterpillar in the mail, um, that this caterpillar was going to do what the caterpillars do. They climb up the stick, they make their thing, they do a cocoon, and then they go out and they're a beautiful butterfly and off we go. Everyone knew it wasn't right. What happened wasn't right. 
It wasn't natural. It wasn't normal. It, it wasn't the way it was supposed to be, okay? Now, the Bible talks about this kind of stuff when it comes to you and I. And here's where I want to start talking about our sin or us as sinners or, or how our lives go where we know we're doing something that isn't right. That in fact, we're not sinners because sinners by their definition sin. That's what they do. If I say I'm a baseball player, what do I do? I play baseball. If I'm a golfer, I golf. If I say I'm a guitar player, I play guitar. Sinners just sin. Now, here's the thing I have, the question I have for us. If we're sinners, and that's what we do because sinners sin, why would God make us sinners or have us be sinners and then tell us, go make yourself holy? Try, try, you can do it. Work, 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 work. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because I've been in church as long as you have. You think, well, John, if you, if you let us off the hook, we're going to go crazy. <laughs> like if we don't call us sinners, that, then we might think that, 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 there is, that we can kind of do w- whatever we want. Well, here we're going to look in the Bible and we're going to see a new way, hopefully, to look at ourselves and our relationship with God that I think will have the exact opposite effect of what you might be worried about. It starts out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And so, in other words, we used to see each other from this worldly standpoint of, oh, okay, we're separated from God, we live in the flesh, we're trying to get, get back to God, get back to the way it was going to be, but, but But when Paul's talking to these Christians, these people who have entered into a relationship with Christ, he goes on to say, we're not going to look at that anymore. And he he goes and he pens this verse that a lot of you have probably memorized if you've been in church for a long time. And he says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. As we step into this relationship with Christ, we do not look at each other from this earthly, worldly standpoint. We are a new species. To take my analogy just a little bit, you know, on the nose here, that's who we are in Christ. Before caterpillar, now butterfly. And what I'm going to be talking about, when I talk about sin and I talk about mistakes and I talk about that and I talk about holiness and, and, and joy and fullness, I want you to think of that butterfly of freedom and flight and, and operating the way it's supposed to be and the way you were designed by your heavenly father as a new creation in Christ, a new species. Now for us, Sometimes that's hard to do. For us, sometimes we, 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 we get into this thing. We've made mistakes and we kind of wallow in that. And we, we've, made, we've done things that we shouldn't have done. And, and even as a new creation, we kind of feel this, this war, if you will, in us. What is that? Where does that come from? I mean, if we're this new creation, shouldn't we just be operating in it all the time? Well, last week what we talked about was the prodigal son. And, and what we talked about was this idea that the prodigal son is with the father. He's, he's the son, okay, of the father. And he makes this huge error. He, he, he takes part of his inheritance, he takes all his inheritance, and he goes off and he squanders it, he wastes it. 
Now here's the question, because I, I told you we're going to revisit this this week. Was he operating as the son when he was away? No. He had gone to a foreign land. He'd left his dad. He'd left the holy land. He'd went to serve unclean animals and was tempted to eat the unclean food and all this. He wasn't operating in the way he was designed, the way he was supposed to operate in. And it was killing him. And so he decided he was going to do something to get back to God again, to get back to his heavenly father. He was going to do something. I'm going to go and I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to go. I'm going to do. And remember the older son, he had been doing all along. And that was his big problem. He said, I- I've done everything you've asked. And, you, and then you make this guy of the fatted calf and you do all this stuff and you clothe him and put him in a robe. All All his father was doing was getting him back to the way it was supposed to be, his nature, the son of this father. And remember the key thing last week, the key verse was the father said, son, you've been with me all along. And here's what we said. We said, with is greater than do. To be with somebody is better than to do something for them. And we talked about that. This is true in all our relationships. My wife, while she loves that I do things with her, or do things for her, she wants me to be with her. If I just do, if I'm like, man, I got to work another 15 hours, honey, but I'm going to get you a Lexus if it kills me, right? That's not a healthy relationship. Although right now she might say that it is just for a time. And then she might come back to, no, I mean, over time, she's going to say, I just want to be with you. And, and maybe your kids have said that to you. And maybe you've, you've had parents where they've worked and worked and worked. And you've just thought to yourself, man, I just want to be with them. With is better than do. Now I want to go one step further this morning that I hope challenges you to think a little bit differently about your sin and who you are and how you were created. And it's this reality. With is greater than do. In is greater than with. This idea that there's this meshing together. So my wife and I, we've been with each other for in the summer, it'll be 25 years. But really, it's much deeper than that. There's a, I know what she's thinking. I can, she raises that one eyebrow. I know I'm in trouble. I mean, she's just like, it's, it's like, it's like she knows what I'm thinking. She, she'll tell me, oh, you're stressed out. And I didn't even know I was stressed out. And she says, you do that thing. And I'm like, you mean this thing? You know, I'm kidding. Uh, no, but she'll, 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 she'll do that. And so, and so we know each other. I mean, it's, we're like inseparable now. We couldn't, if we got divorced, I think I'd just die. I, just, I don't know what would happen. She's like, that's the way it is. This is what was designed for us in our relationship with Jesus. In is better than with. And what happens when we say we're sinners is what we're really saying, the narrative is, I'm, gonna, I'm a sinner, but I'm really going to work hard to not be a sinner. This is my way of wor- working hard. And then I'll be with God. I'm separated from God as a sinner. I'm going to work real hard, and now I'm with him. You know, the Bible doesn't support your theology at all, if that's what you're thinking. The Bible goes much uh, deeper than that. And sometimes it's, 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 it's almost mind-boggling. And I want to show you some verses. And we're going to fly through a bunch of verses, so don't feel like you have to uh, memorize them or whatever. Just get the gist of what's going on. You can write them down if you want on the outline, and you can look at them later. 
But this is the idea that in is greater than with. Uh, With is greater than do. In is greater than with. Here we go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, now that you've become this new creature, he doesn't see us as the caterpillar anymore. There's no condemnation. You you know, nasty caterpillar. You you are like a new creation for those who are in Christ Jesus, okay? Now, it's a whole different book of the Bible, Colossians 3, 3. For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. There's this meshing together again. It's not here I am, sinner, working, God up here, judging. Oh, now you're in a good relationship with me. Now you're in a bad relationship with me. It's Christ in me, I in Christ. So here's, here's kind of a little thing I just put up here just so we can kind of see it. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, which is just kind of an a uncomfortable way of saying, you know, we haven't cut all that away, God made you alive with Christ. And so uh, if you kind of look at this, dead, like dead in, in your sin, dead there, and then God made you alive with Christ, you're alive there. God actually made you alive. You were a caterpillar. He made you a butterfly, okay? And it was God who made that. God did that. Goes on in 1 Corinthians 6.15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Where you show up, Christ shows up. Where you go, he goes. That, you know, I don't know. I don't know about you, but it's like, as a matter of fact, in this section of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, prior to that, Paul's, Paul's talking about, hey, uh, don't be, don't be uh, hooking up with prostitutes, right? Which is a, a good rule to have in the Bible. Um, and anyway, so why, 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 Paul? Like, like, honestly, if I stood up here and I said, hey, um, I think it's okay to be with a prostitute, you guys would say, n- like, no, and you'd have a whole bunch of reasons. And, and you know, we'd probably get them all within all of us. But, but, the reason would be, hey, you're married, you know, okay, let's say I wasn't married, okay, well, that's, that's fornication then, and that's not right, and plus, why don't you, you should think about her, that's a, a human dignity thing, about she was created in the image of God, and we'd have all these things, that's using people, we'd have all those things, and that's great, and they're all true, but Paul doesn't use that at all, like, that would seem like the natural thing, you know what Paul says, why, why would Jesus be joined to a prostitute? That's the theology Paul uses, why would, why would Christ do that? Now, now, isn't that a totally different way to think about where we go with our sin, how we operate? In other words, you, you're not, what, what are you doing? You're members of Christ. Now, all those other reasons are great, but for me, that's a better argument. Why would Christ do that? And so he says, you're members of Christ himself. He goes on. It gets even, even deeper and more ingrained in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. He says this. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What mystery is that, Paul? Which is Christ in you. That Christ is in you. The hope of glory. Galatians 2.20. He says this. I've been crucified with Christ and I don't even live anymore, but Christ lives in me. 
Now listen, we often talk about this, and as Christians, we throw this stuff around all the time. And, and to a non-Christian, if I were to say to a Christian, a non-Christian or someone who is seeking or doesn't understand, if I say, you know, if you accept Jesus into your heart, he'll live inside you. And it's like, what the heck? Uh, no, thank you. Actually, I don't want that. As a matter of fact, uh, Jack Handy, I don't know if you remember those books, but um, one of his jokes was... Um, um, if Christ lives in us, like some people say, I hope he likes burritos because that's what he's getting. Okay. Anyway, I was just, first service didn't get that. It's just a little plus for you guys. All right. But Christ lives in me. He goes on. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, do you not know that your bodies are, the, are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you? Whom you've received from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Again, Romans 8.10, not to belabor the point, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of the sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. So we are not sinners. This is not who we are. It might be who we were by definition, if we've accepted what Christ did on the cross and we've entered into that relationship, that might be who we were. And there might be times when we operate outside of our nature. But we are not sinners. You can live a life that flies from that, that is free from that. We all can. Christ is in us. This is a better picture of who we are. As a matter of fact, we're going to go over three verses, uh, one, two, three, four, four verses um, real quickly. But get, get this. This is so fantastic. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism. And again, if, if you have not been baptized and you've, uh, this commandment of the Bible, that when we step into this life with Christ, one of the things we do to obey is we get baptized. And on um, uh, uh, Easter, we're going to have some, right now we have eight people who are going to be baptized on Easter, which is another great reason to bring somebody because those things are, are very powerful. But, um, but again, if you, we probably have a couple more slots. And so if you want to get baptized on Easter, we'd, we'd love to have you. Um, but listen to this. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now, oftentimes when we think of resurrection and newness, we think of heaven. I'm, I'm going to accept Jesus and he'll forgive me of my sin and I'll end up in heaven. It's a great destination, okay? Don't get me wrong. But look what the verse says. So we too might walk in newness of life like Tomorrow, today, when we walk out of those doors, there might be a newness, a fullness because of Christ's sustaining power within us. And so he says, because Christ died and we've died, he's raised, we're raised, and now we can walk in newness of life. And then he goes on and he says, for you have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Again, this is not talking about heaven. It's talking about now. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. You are a new creation in Christ. Now, 
Some of you, as I've been talking, have been thinking to yourself, well, I kind of know my own life. Thank you very much. And I get the part that I can be free. And I get the part that, that I was a caterpillar, if you will. And, you know, okay, I was a lot worse before. But in no way am I just completely free. This is how you see yourself, maybe. See yourself like this. Okay. <laughs> You say, yeah, I've got wings. I, I'll, get, I'll grant you that. And my wings are a little bigger than they were five years ago. But deep down inside, like the, the core of who I am, I'm a caterpillar. That's Heimlich, by the way. Who says, I love my... Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of how you see yourself. Sinner, but I, I, got, I got... There is some... I, I'm saved, and so I have these little wings. Now, let me ask you a question. Because a lot of people are here. How are you going to get your wings? How, how are you going to get bigger wings than that? If that's you, how, how are you going to become a butterfly? Now here's the narrative we've been told and, 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 and we believe. Well, I'm going I'm to work. I'm working on it, dude. Get off me. Yeah, I'm working on my stuff. I, the wings are bigger than they were a, a year ago and whatever. That's not theologically accurate when it comes to Scripture. You are a butterfly. That's just your new creation. That's who you are. Now, there might be things, again, our flesh and our spirit, the Bible says in Galatians 5.17, are at war with each other. That happened when we got saved. Is that all of a sudden we went, that's not my nature. I'm not... I'm this new creature in Christ. And so there's this weird turmoil. But we are not sinners with tiny little wings that if we really work hard and work, you know, read our Bible and we pray and we really go, we're going to all of a sudden, blink, you know, oh, wow, I can fly. Or you might think of yourself like this. I'm a butterfly, but I still like going back and eating leaves. Butterflies don't eat leaves. You know that? They actually drink nectar. I found that out this morning at 5 o'clock. Um, uh, Wikipedia is just fantastic. Uh, but, but you think of yourself like this. Like the, like the butterflies are supposed to fly and they drink nectar and stuff. So when you see a butterfly on a leaf, you think it's eating a leaf. But butterflies don't eat leaves. Okay? But you might think of yourself like that. Like I was a, I was a caterpillar and I ate le- leaves. Now I'm a butterfly and I'll, fly, I'll grab a leaf sometimes. I'll look around and see if anyone's looking. And then if someone catches me, I'll, what? I wasn't doing that. I'm a butterfly. See you later. You know? And like you get, got caught. That's not, that's not accurate. It's not accurate theologically. Your nature, who you are, you are a new creature in Christ. You might think of yourself as a deformed butterfly, the one we had. It's like, man, my, yeah, it's just, I'm, I know I'm a butterfly, but just I'm missing my leg because I can't stop this one sin. But once I stop, the leg will grow back. Not true. You still have no, no I'm just kidding. All right. Listen to this. Here's the question. Why would a butterfly go back to eating leaves? See, I think this is the question we need to ask ourselves this week as we move forward. As we move in and, and we begin to see those things that maybe our flesh is drawn to. Why would, why would, why would I go back to that? As a matter of fact, there's this... Uh, Russian Orthodox priest back in the 1800s in the 19th century. His name is uh, John of Kronstadt. 
Okay, and so he, he's not Phil from Duck Dynasty, okay? It's really John <laughs> of Kronstadt, but that is just a sweet look right there. Um, what he would do, so most of the priests would stay in the parish, and they'd wait for people to come to them. But the problem is, in Russia, there was, alcohol was just rampant at this time. It was just destroying the country. And so what John would do, John would actually go out to where the people were hung over. They're, they're totally trapped. They're the caterpillars just kind of going up the stick. And that's my best caterpillar impersonation. They're going up the stick, eating. They're just, they're just there. And, and, and John goes out to them. In the midst of their hungoverness and, and their stench and everything. And he would grab them by the face while they were just in the muck. And, and he would say, this is beneath your dignity. He'd look them right in the eye. He'd grab them by the chin. This is beneath your dignity. You were meant to house the fullness of God. That's what he'd tell them. That's what he believed about them. This is beneath your dignity. You are meant to house the fullness of God. This is how I believe our Heavenly Father sees us when we sin. And this is how I think we should see us when we sin. It's beneath our dignity. We are meant to house the fullness of God. Why would a butterfly go back to eating leaves when it's already had the sweet nectar for what it was created, for a better analogy, right? Why would it go back to eating leaves? This is the question we have. Jesus asked it this way. Why, why do you worry about what you're going to wear? What you're going to eat? Why would you do that? Look at, look at the birds of the air. They don't toil or reap. Your father, Heavenly Father takes care of them. Why would you do that? Why would you live in fear? You're free from that. Why would you worry about money? Why would you worry about your kids? Why would you worry about all this stuff? You're, you're free from that. You are meant to house the fullness of the deity of God. Now, if you don't believe me, um, Paul, Peter talks about this. Listen to this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Now, you want to grow your wings? Where does it come from? It's been given to us by our Heavenly Father, His divine power. Christ living in us, sustaining us. That idea of, 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 of meshing. If you want to read um, another account of what I'm talking about, John chapter 15 talks about um, abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. Your version might say remaining in Christ. His divine power has given us everything we need for, uh, for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Think about that. You've got everything you need. Goes on. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them, check this, you may participate in the divine nature. Wow, does that not seem unattainable? I mean, honestly, if I think about my own life and I'm, you know, and then I think about times when I've really bought this and I've really thought to myself, wait, Christ is in me. Like to sin is beneath my dignity. I'm, I'm meant to house the fullness of God that, my, my, may I, that I might participate in the divine nature. Now again, this doctrine isn't that you become a God or anything like that. It's that in fact, God, through the spirit 
that we have inside of us empowers us to overcome our sin. We can participate in the divine nature. He goes on, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We can escape. You know what that means? That means that thing you're working on, the thing that just keeps coming back over and over again, you can escape it. Now, the question really becomes then, how do I do that? That's the million-dollar question. How do, I, how do I really become that? Well, we've been doing it in the last few weeks. We've been doing our disciplines, our things that we, where, we, where we disconnect from, from kind of the rat race of the world. We disconnect from those things, and we connect to God in a really tangible way. It's just like anything else. How do I, gain, how do I lose weight and stay fit? Well, you do little things. You change your little, you change your diet, you change your, you know, exercise habits or you start an exercise habit or whatever it be. You do those things. And so what we've been doing to connect to the divine nature, to, to access what we already have, last week what we did was we thought about someone we didn't necessarily like. And we've said, and we, we said, we wake up every morning and I don't know how you did this week, but we wake up every morning and we go, Lord... Teach me to love them like you love them. Teach me to see them like you see them. And what's amazing to me, and not amazing because we expected it, were the stories that came back. And by the fourth day, I, I didn't, that person didn't even bother me anymore. Yeah, guess what? You're participating in the divine nature. Just with these little exercises, these little things of going, no, I'm going to humble myself, move out of the way, and I'm just going to step into who I am. Lord, Teach me to love them like you love them. Teach me to see them like you see them. And all of a sudden, you begin to fly. We did another thing where uh, one of our exercises was, I don't need to prove that I'm right. And so the exercise, the discipline, the difficulty was, um, when I get into a situation with somebody and I know I'm right and I can prove I'm right and I am right, I'm going to be quiet. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to exercise that strength of Christ in me, uh, molding me and shaping me and saying, you don't, need to, you don't need to prove you're right. I got you. Participate in the divine nature. You're fine. You got it. Don't trust in yourself. And so we, we did that. Last week, we started a 21-day fast. And if you weren't here, you can start a 14-day fast uh, today. Uh, where we just, we just said to ourselves, you know what? We're not going to just rush to those things. We're, we're not going to operate in that nature anymore where, where all of a sudden this is bothering me, so I'm going to medicate or I'm going to go after this or I'm going to call. That. I'm, I'm going to move into this where I now rely on you. And all of a sudden, as I begin to talk to all of you and you send me emails and we enter into conversation, guess what's happening? We're entering into the divine nature. People are going, man, I didn't realize how much time I was wasting and, and I didn't realize oh, all this kind of stuff and how this was affecting me and all of a sudden, there we are. So, this morning, we're going to start a new exercise. Um, and it might be a tough one for some of us. Uh, Again, for me, I said they get harder each, each time, and uh, that's only because this one's the hardest one for me. So you, got, you might be like, yes, this is so easy. But the discipline is solitude. Now, we live in a world which is just like, there is nothing but input, 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 input. You turn on the radio, input, 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 TV, input, Facebook, input, you know, internet, 
cell phones, Twitter, uh, Instagram, bam, 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 bam. And so it's like all this stuff. What solitude does, solitude is just you and God. Christ in you, you in Christ sitting there. Now, in our small group, we have a small group on Friday. One person, I super appreciated what they had to say. They said, I would rather go back to Catholic school and have a ruler hit me in the fingers than to actually spend any time alone. And what I appreciated about it was like, wow, that's exactly what I said. Like the idea when, when, when I've been, I've been doing this exercise for a couple weeks now. And the first time I sat there and I was just like, okay, so when this is over, I've got to get, and so in my solitude, I just quickly, Lord, just real quick, I'm just going to get some reminders down so that when this is over, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll make it a little more productive. That's not solitude. Okay. And so I've been, I was struggling. And then, so then I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll this time, okay, I turn off the phone, can't even get to the reminders, I can't do anything. And so I'm sitting there, just me and my thoughts and Jesus. I'm like, what's up? How's it going? Hello? Right? What, what, what begins to happen is you begin to learn some things about yourself. You learn where your mind goes right away. You learn just how busy your mind is. You learn how much, when I say you, I mean me. Uh, I learned how much I think about the future and trying to figure it out and work it out and get it all done. That's not in Christ. That's not abiding. That's, that's me f- trying to figure it out. What solitude does, and it takes a while, and, 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 and the thing is, what, what I appreciate about that person, they said, I could, just, I could do a minute of that. Great. Do a minute of that. Begin with a minute. There's no, again, we're not earning our wings. <laughs> we're not like, and when you get to an hour, you'll be a butterfly. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not that at all. It's that we begin to participate in the divine nature. We begin to go, you know what? I, this is, all this input and all this struggling for the future and worry and all this, it's beneath my dignity. I was meant to house the fullness of God. And so you might find that you're minute after a while. This is not a quiet time, by the way. This is just you're sitting. Becomes 10 minutes and you're, you're okay. And then your mind goes crazy and you learn something about yourself. And you may, you know, again, failure is fantastic. Okay? Failure is great. You fail at it. You go, you know what? I'm going to get better at this. God, I want to be comfortable with just you and I. 